This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in the book of Joshua. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. In chapters 15 and 17, the division of land was continuing with Judah. And as we know, as a reminder, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. And we get a few more details about Caleb. He zealously took possession of his land and creatively sought help by offering his daughter, Ascah, as a prize. The right man, Othniel, won because the two became a powerful couple who built on their inheritance. Then Ephraim and Manasseh were next in the land distribution, and Joshua was faithful to Moses' promise to the daughters of Zelephahad, and he gives them the portion that their brother would have received if they had had one. However, those two tribes, the sons of Joseph, displayed a little entitlement, which is never good, and they were not content with their allotment. It wasn't enough. They required too much work. And unlike Caleb, they were not zealous to claim the Lord's gift. So Joshua was not going to have any of it. He stood firm and denied their request. This distribution of land is a promise. It's fulfilled now. Another one of those promises that all of those promises, remember, are getting fulfilled in this book, the book of Joshua. However, our author has repeatedly dropped premonitions of a less than obedient behavior by this Jewish clan. So the Israelites are not being faithful. They're not removing the Canaanites from the land. And there are hints, it's ominous, prophecies for future judgment upon these people. Here's our setup for this episode. Two episodes ago in chapter 13, Joshua was was chastised a little by God for not taking all of the land. Now, God told Joshua he was now very old and he needed to get on it. Of course, Joshua responded well and picked up the crusade to control the land. In this episode, with the land under control, Joshua methodically moves to the next task from God on his list of to-dos. Once in the promised land, he is to set up the tent of meeting or tabernacle. And in Deuteronomy 12, we read that God had told the Israelites this about setting that up. Deuteronomy 12, verse 4. You must not worship the Lord your God in the Canaanites way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. God promised he would choose a place to set up the tabernacle. That place was Shiloh. Now Shiloh is located in the center of all the tribe's land, so it It was a good choice. The setting up of the tabernacle would have been a really big deal to the Israelites because now the Israelites had a formal place to worship. There would be a visible representation of God's presence among them, and they don't have to pack it up and move again because they're not wandering anymore. With their possession of the land secure and God's dwelling place established for worship, all was good. Well, almost. It appears that after 40 years of traveling together in a cozy camp for two million, the people are just a wee bit hesitant to spread out. 
But this time, it is not God who chastises Joshua. Rather, it is Joshua who gets a little annoyed and chastises the people. This is the division of the land for the remaining tribes. And if you really want to see that visually, check out the show notes because we have a map of tribal allotments. Starting in chapter 18, the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of our ancestors has given you? Now, remember, Joshua is talking to the tribes, but those tribes consist of many men. Each of the men in these tribes are the descendant of one of Jacob's sons. Over 400 years before Joshua, Jacob was similarly frustrated with his 12 sons. Joshua is now frustrated with the 12 tribes. In Genesis 42, Jacob said this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Jacob's sons were avoiding taking action. And apparently the tribes that descended from these sons are similarly apathetic 400 years later and making Joshua frustrated. He is frustrated at their negligence and asks, How long will they wait to take possession of the rest of the land? We don't know why it has taken so long. It could have been fear of the Canaanites. Like I said, they were just digging the cozy camp. I don't know. Maybe fear of separation from your 2 million friends that might be in another tribe and not living near you anymore. Who knows? Herd mentality, laziness, perhaps too much indulging after years of manna. That fruit on the vine was so satisfying that they were content right where they were for the time. Take note, apathy must be high on the list of covert ways to sin. It's like quietly sinning under the radar. You just openly do nothing, pretending you don't know what you know God wants you to do. The question for us is this, are you apathetic in your approach to God, to his word or to his will? Well, that is convicting. (laughs) I know, because apathy is so easy. But the fact that if I do nothing, that's definitely against what God's telling me to do. Yeah. Wow. All right, continuing on in verse four, appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the tribes of Joseph in their territory on the north. After you've written the descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord your God. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will cast lots for you here in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its description on a scroll town by town in seven parts and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. And there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. Once again, Joshua is not having it. 
no apathy on his watch. He orders them to take a survey, divide the land by seven, and cast lots for it. Now, remember, some of the tribes already got their land in prior episodes. So these are the seven remaining. And we're going to start with the distribution for the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Simeon, beginning with the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 11. The first lot came up for the tribe of Benjamin, according to its clans. Their allotted territory lay between the tribes of Judah and Joseph. On the north side of their boundary began at the Jordan, past the north slope of Jericho, and headed west into the hill country, coming out at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. From there, it crossed to the south slope of Luz, that is Bethel, and went down to Atheroth Adar on the hill south of lower Beth Haran. From the hill facing Beth Haran on the south, the boundary turned south along the western side and came out at Kira Baal, that is Kirath Jerim, a town of the people of Judah. This was the western side. On the southern side, at the outskirts of Kirath Jerim, on the west, and the boundary came out at the spring of the waters of Nepto. The boundary went down to the foot of the hill facing the valley of Ben Hinnom, north of the valley of Rephaim. It continued down the Hinnom Valley along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, and so to En Rogel. It then curved north, went to En Shemesh, continued to Gelioth, which faces the pass of Adamim, and ran down to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. It continued to the northern slope of Beth Arba and on down into Arba. It then went to the northern slope of Beth Holga and came out at the northern bay of the Dead Sea at the mouth of the Jordan in the south. This was the southern boundary. The Jordan formed the boundary on the eastern side. These were the boundaries that marked the inheritance of the clans of the Benjamins on all sides. The tribe of Benjamin, according to its clans, had the following towns. Jericho, Beth Holga, Emek Kaziz, Beth Arba, Zerim, Bethel, Avim, Para, Upra, Kepar, Amoni, Opni, and Giba, twelve towns and their villages. Gibeon, Rama, Biroth, Mispah, Capri, Moza, Rekom, Irpil, Tarlal, Zela, Helaf, the Jebusite city that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, and Kirath, fourteen towns and their villages. This was the inheritance of Benjamin for its clans. What do we know about the tribe of Benjamin? Well, Benjamin, remember, the son, was the second son of Jacob and the wife he loved, Rachel. And remember, Rachel died giving in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And so Benjamin was really baby Benjamin. He was the last of all of the 12 sons and he was Jacob's favorite. He also is Rachel's, um, he is the full brother to Joseph. So again, Joseph and Benjamin, big, good guys come from Rachel. Well, that was our love story. Yeah, it was a great love story. I know. All right. In in the present, in our story right now of these seven tribes that the land is being distributed to, Benjamin gets the most detailed description indicating the importance of this tribe which includes the territory described in verse 16, where Jerusalem is located. In the future, the tribe of Benjamin will be faithful to God to a certain extent and join the tribe of Judah and Levi to form the southern kingdom, which 
again, eventually will fall to Babylon, but tries to hold out and be faithful. So they're in the good group. All right, chapter 19 continues with the allotment for the tribe of Simeon. The second lot came out for the tribe of Simeon, according to its clans. Their inheritance lay within the territory of Judah. It included Beersheba or Sheba, Molda, Hazar Shual, Bala, Izam, Itlod, Bethel, Horma, Zilkag, Beth, Markboth, Hazar Shua, Beth Leboth, and Shauhin, 13 towns and their villages, Anin, Rimon, Esther, and Ashnan, four towns and their villages, and all the villages around these towns as far as Be'elah, Bir, Ramah, and the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the Simeonites, according to its clans. The inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the territory of Judah. All right, here's the scoop on the tribe of Simeon. You'll remember from other seasons that Jacob's son, Simeon, along with his brother Levi, avenged the rape of their sister Dinah by killing the men of Shechem in Genesis 34. Jacob was furious with his sons and on his deathbed said that the tribes Levi and Simeon would be scattered as they were too dangerous when they got together. Now, in our current story, Simeon has become the smallest tribe and um, their inheritance is allocated inside of Judah's. Note, there are no boundaries given to this territory, and that is because Simeon is just given random certain cities within Judah's allotment. So they are kind of scattered in Judah. The tribe of Simeon is just sprinkled in with Judah and scattered amongst this larger tribe. Okay, so that's the southern group. Let's move to the distribution for the five northern tribes, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan, starting with Zebulun. Verse 10. The third lot came up for Zebulun, according to its clans. The boundary of their inheritance went as far as Sarid. Going west, it ran to Marlah, touched Dabasheth, and extended to the ravine near Jokniam. It turned east from Sarid toward the sunrise to the territory of Kishloth Tabor, and went to Dabarath and up to Japhia. Then it continued eastward to Gath-Hefer and Eth-Kazin. It came out at Rimonond and turned toward Nia. There, the boundary went around on the north to Hanahon, Hanathon, to Hanathon, and ended at the valley of Ipath-El. Included were Katath, Nathal, Shimron, Idala, and Bethlehem. There were 12 towns and their villages. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of Zebulun, according to its clans. So let's talk about Zebulun in the future. Zebulun will become part of that northern kingdom, which develops a new capital in Samaria, not Jerusalem during the time of David, a new religion without the Levites, because the Levites are going to kind of go down and stick with Judah. So that northern kingdom, they're going to fall to Assyria. And in Isaiah 9, it says this about Zebulun and Naphtali. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, 
But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. So, you know, oh, they, I think he's talking about Jesus. I know he's always talking about Jesus. So that's exciting. You know, they kind of fell away with the northern kingdom. But where they had darkness, there's going to be a light. And Isaiah prophecies about the day centuries later when the light of the world, Jesus, lives lived and taught in in the Galilee area, the tribal territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Here's the allotment for Issachar. Verse 17. The fourth lot came out for Issachar according to its clans. Their territory included Jazreel, Kesluth, Shunem, Haparim, Shion, Anarath, Rabith, Kishnon, Ibez, Remeth, Enganim, and Hada and Beth Paziz. The boundary touched Tabor, Shahasumah, and Beth Shemesh, and ended at the Jordan. There were 16 towns and their villages. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the tribe of Issachar, according to its clans. Nothing new here. The tribe of Issachar in the future will become part of that northern kingdom and fall to Assyria. Here's the allotment for Asher. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of Asher, according to its clans. Their territory included Helka, Halil, Beten, Akspa, Alamek, Emad, and Mishal. On the west, the boundary touched Carmel, Shihor Labath. It then turned toward Beth Dagon, touched Zebulun and the valley of Ipath El, and went north to Beth Amek and Neil, passing Kabul on the left. It went to Abdon, Reob, Hamon, and Kana as far as Greater Sidon. The boundary then turned back toward Rama and went to the fortified city of Tyre, turned toward Hosa and came out at the Mediterranean Sea in the region of Akzib, Uma, Apek, and Rehob. There were 22 towns and their villages. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the tribe of Asher according to its clans. Asher also will become part of that northern kingdom and fall to Assyria. Here is the allotment for Naphtali. The sixth lot came out for Naphtali according to its clans. Their boundary went from Helef and the large tree in Zanaim, passing Adami Nakeb and Jabneel to Lakum and ending at the Jordan. The boundary ran west through Asnoth Tabor and came out at Hukuk. It touched Zebulun on the south, Asher on the west, and the Jordan on the east. The fortified towns were Zedim, Zir, Hamath, Raka, Kinareth, Adma, Rama, Hazor, Kidesh, Idri, and Hazor, Aron, Migal-El, Horem, Bethna, and Beth Shemesh. There were 19 towns and their villages. These towns and their villagers were the inheritance of the tribe of Naphtali, according to its clans. So Naphtali will become part of that northern kingdom and fall to Assyria. But remember, they were lumped in with Zebulun in Isaiah's prophecy. And Matthew also reiterates what Isaiah said about these two tribes in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. 
land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Sometimes I think of Jesus with this little like checklist of prophecy that he had to go through before he was done. <laughs> like the Lord hit him. Oh, and by the way, before you go down, you know, here's your list. You got to execute all these things and make, make sure, sure they know <laughs> get that around. I fulfilled this one. Yeah, get around to all the land and check it off. All right. Next is the allotment for Dan. Verse 40. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of Dan, according to its clans. The territory of their inheritance included Zorah, Eshtaul, Ir Shemesh, Sha'albin, Jadlon, Ilta, Elon, Timna, Ikron, Elke, Gibeon, Balath, Jehud, Benebarek, Gathrimon, Mijarkan, and Rakon, with the area facing Joppa. When the territory of the Danites was lost to them, they went up and attacked Leshem, took it, put it to the sword, and occupied it. They settled in Leshem and named it Dan after their ancestor. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the tribe of Dan, according to its clans. All right, this is not the tribe you want to be a part of, um, and that is why they are last. The Danites were unable to settle in their land because they could not displace the Philistines. They eventually left the area and settled north of Galilee, kind of in, I guess, Naphtali and Zebulun's area, really. So they're going to become part of the northern kingdom and fall to Assyria. Now, in Revelation 7, Dan, after the whole Bible is pretty much till the last book, is dropped from the list of the 12 tribes who receive a seal from the angel from the east. So, you know, we're constantly repeating the names of the 12 tribes. And in in Revelations, you can read he's not in the list. Um, We don't know why exactly. However, there are hints in Judges 17 through 18. The tribe of Dan is going to worship idols and became somewhat symbolic of Israel's failure. Um, That story is coming up soon in season seven of this podcast. So we will dig into that a little bit more later. All right. I want to talk about Joshua just a little bit. I want to say they've all gotten their land and I want to move to Joshua because he's about to get his special allocation. But Joshua was that faithful leader and he humbly receives his due last. Last out, only when all was accomplished, did Joshua collect his inheritance and finally get to go home. Now, I have to wonder when I read this, did he even have a wife and children? Nowhere does it say that he had a wife and children. The Bible is silent. We actually know more about Caleb than we do about Joshua, which of course is typical of Joshua, humbly sharing about others and all the good stuff they did and nothing about himself. So did Joshua write his own book? He wrote it? He wrote the book. I'm sure he had a scribe or whatever, but yes, he's responsible Mm -hmm. for writing it. All right. Here is the allotment for Joshua. Verse 49, when they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, 
Timnah Sirah in the hill country of Ephraim, and he built up the town and settled there. So, of course, Ephraim, no surprise there, he's from the tribe of Ephraim, so of course he'd want to live amongst his people. Of all the men alive in Israel at this time, Joshua has been committed in service the longest. He was the first in on this mission and actually led a military attack against the Amalekites for Moses way back in Exodus 7. And of all the men, Joshua is the last to receive his inheritance of the land. Joshua is an excellent example of a rare type of leader, the first in, last out leader. These leaders are first in commitment and dedication, and when the mission is complete, they are last out, humbly advocating for others to be recognized and rewarded for the achievement ahead of them. Now take note, first in, last out leadership is rare, but it does exist today. In fact, it can be found throughout the traditions of our very own military. Daily in the army, there, there is a witness to this principle because leaders eat last. It doesn't matter what time they arrive in the cafeteria, they have to wait for everyone else. I have only witnessed in my life one military homecoming ceremony. So here's another example. My son-in-law was in Iraq during the war on terror with the 101st Airborne on a mission to take Mosul back and liberate several Iraqi cities. The mission was a great success and there was a celebratory ceremony when the unit returned to the United States. It was very formal. The soldiers deplaned from Iraq in uniform in order, one line, hundreds of them filing into this, this airport hangar. They lined up in the hangar in formation by unit, like they knew exactly where they were going and what they were doing. Their leader then stepped up to a platform and a microphone and proceeded to extol their efforts and detailed their victory and why it was so important to the United States. There was no media, no press. It was just for the family and these men who all stood there. They didn't sit listening to their leader as he basically releases them Um he gave the credit to his men and he rewarded them publicly. Not one mention went to any leadership or any one person. No one extolled the, I don't know if what, I think he was in a lieutenant colonel or something, the, the guy on the stage. No one said anything about him, the commander. It was all about the men. Well, just a few years later on August 30th, 2021, the war on terror ended. So the the one person responsible for this entire multi-unit group got no reward at that point. He was just rewarding them. He was the last somewhere. I'm sure he got a medal or something, but it was never public. Now, a few years later on August 30th, here's another example. 20, in 2021, the war on terror ended and hundreds, probably thousands, I don't know how many soldiers were transported home. It was a process for us to leave Iraq after so many years. But when the last soldier um, was ready to go, he walked up the ramp. It was nighttime. I don't know why they were middle of the night departure, but it was nighttime. He walked up that huge ramp in the back of the C-17 transport plane, the final plane to leave. So we're, we're totally out of this Iraq now. Um, his rifle in his hand, full uniform, helmet on. And he was Major General Chris Donahue, commander of the 82nd Airborne. Again, the 101st Airborne and the 82nd Airborne. Huge for the just air attacks that they made um, on all these cities. 
there's a Google picture of him. Um, you can Google his name and see a picture of him because it's taken with night goggles walking. The general was the last to leave. Great leaders are first in and last out. They set the example by being the first in commitment and the last to leave when the work is done. They are responsible, proficient, humble, and hard workers. They always put others first. That was Joshua. Probably our first example of that kind of commitment, especially on a military level, because that was primarily Joshua's role. So my question is, where can you be a first in, last out leader? Because we all lead. We all lead in your family, in your church, at work. I don't know where, but think about if you lead being the last one, whether it's just setting up chairs at your church, are you the last one um, to leave when it's done? It's a cool kind of picture to have. Without having to be asked. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's your responsibility. It's a great example, especially for believers, because, you know, um, humility in, is important in all things. And certainly Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples at the Last Supper. So it's a good practice. Let's continue on in verse 51. These are the territories that Eleazar the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. The Israelite leadership team finished dividing the land. They finished at the tent of meeting in the presence of God. It was Joshua and Eleazar, the military leader and the priest, along with every clan leader representing each and every family. Israel was finally a nation with a home. The final distribution of the promised land was the culmination of hundreds of years of waiting for a promise that was made to Abraham, somebody they never even knew because it was so far back in their history. The mission that began in Genesis and spanned the first six books of the Bible is now complete. For the last 95 episodes of Bible Book Club, we have been reading and discussing Israel's mission to the promised land. It has been just a two-year journey for us, which seems like a long time, but it doesn't compare to the 40 years for these people. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.